0: You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com.
1: Now Buntik tried to give it back to Matthews. That doesn't work. And worked for the Canadians. Caulfield with Suzuki.
2: Kaden Gooley. He'll hand it off for Jonathan Duran. Watch by Carter. Pass across. Caulfield scores! Cole Caulfield ties it!
1: Slips it around. passes it to Weidman. Wrist Weidman to Caulfield. Caulfield puts on the brakes. Brister scores! The delayed release and he buries it. Cole
0: Suzuki down the lane, slides it over the dock, gets it back, throws it towards the off the back for the Ringer. They score. Cole Caulfield.
1: He put one off the post
0: earlier, but this one. Kirby Duck
1: to Nick Suzuki. Walks in, hangs on. To Cole Caulfield it scores. What a pass! What a setup! And Cole Caulfield has his second. And there line.
2: you have it: the seven goals from the Player of the Month in the Canadian system, and it's Cole Caulfield. This is Patrick Bexel setting up the podcast and we're a full bunch today. Um we got Hardy here from Locked On NHL Prospects and obviously I for the prize. Hey everyone. And uh we got Mr. Drake himself um doing some Canadian style rap here uh, when it comes to, you know, Quebecois players.
1: Correct. With they uh 0 to 100 real quick, right?
2: Yeah. And of course, we have The Fugitive, just having returned from Bosnia, from what I know. uh, He might have been somewhere else in between. He was late today, so the police is obviously chasing him already. (laughs) But Anton Rosigård, where are you now? And can you even tell us?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm back in Croatia. I had to... uh... I was just, um, I, I thought that I, I was actually in Bosnia eight years ago, but it was only for a night. So I, I kind of figured that that doesn't count. So now that I'm in Croatia, I kind of like, that was the country that I had left to, uh, to you know, kind of like check mark. So uh, t- two nights in Bosnia. And, uh, you know, Sarajevo is a
2: wonderful city. Um, highly recommend. Um, well, rebuilt after the war, obviously. And uh, yeah, hosted the Summer Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics uh, ages ago. When yeah, I nine, 1984. Yeah, when I was a kid. Don't talk about it. We, we, we can mention the, the the Olympics, but we don't mention the year, Anton. You oh, make me feel yeah. ancient. <laughs> but yeah, we, we have Cold Caulfield here. I'm in my Cold Caulfield jersey. Uh, there's going to be a game later today. Uh, we're recording this, obviously, for immediate release. Uh, Montreal plays Minnesota. How many goals will
1: he score today, Matt? Ooh. Well, I, I hope the Habs score more goals than they did last time against Minnesota, at the very least. I'm, I'm, going, with, I'm going with one. I'm, I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to say just Boo! One.
2: <laughs> well, it's a that countdown take. still, and the countdown is ongoing. Hadi, Matt said that Cowfield would score 40. Could, now, a couple of games in,
3: um, do you agree with him? Uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Now, my prediction at the start of the year is that we'd see Caulfield get more assists and goals, but with the way that Suzuki's been distributing pucks and um, sort of feeding Caulfield on the power play, it's just been ridiculous. So I think there's no doubt about it almost at this point that Caulfield's going to hit 40 this year. Um, I'm I'm more... I think the question is more whether he reaches 50 at this point. He's on a 60-goal pace so far. So, I mean, yeah.
2: Looking at it, we, we speak about the goals, and he's always had the name um, Goal Cowfield, and he's always had the... this. He's not going to be able to do it at this level. He's not going to be able to do it at the next level. He's not going to be doing it in NHL unless he plays the power play. He has, like, most of the goals are five-on-five five goals, first and foremost. If he That's only to,
0: because the power play is shit.
2: Yeah, but yep. let's say the, the power play gets going, he's going to score there. But I'm also very impressed with his overall game right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's uh, not. Yeah, I was going to say like I mean he he plays a very solid um <sighs> solid game. He he he's not a one trick pony. He's not a Mike Hoffman who you just like the only thing he can do is score and apparently he can't even do that. Uh Cole Caulfield is a go- really good hockey player and and going back to his sophomore year in Wisconsin, I think that was really important for his continued development that he just got to, you know, have a year where he was he was already you know, a bit too good for the NCAA, but he got one year to just like work on different uh, things that he could just, uh, you know, work on to, to get more ready for the NHL. Obviously, it's it's always going to be a challenge when you're 5'7". We don't see a lot of them. So, you know, uh, now it's just Ottawa's Alex de Brinket and Montreal has their own Alex de Brinket and, and Cole Caulfield.
2: And Montreal's uh, former Cole Caulfield, Mats Naslund had his birthday the other day. Uh, last player to reach 100 points.
1: Can Cowfield or Suzuki challenge that in the future? Mm. I said it before. I'll say it again. I think Suzuki's going to have a 90 point season during his contract. Um, I, I think he's capable of getting to 100. He's on pace right now for what? Um, I, I think just over 90, right? I think 100 is going to be a challenge, especially this year. Uh, I really don't see the team scoring at a high enough rate to, to get either of them over 100 points. I do see Caulfield, as I've said many times, getting at least 40 this season, maybe even kissing 50. But 100 points, you know, that's that's a tough plateau to get to, especially on a team that's not going to be really challenging for a playoff spot. I know that they're technically pretty close to, if not still in one right now. I'd have to go double check the standings uh, to to be sure of that before I say it. But I I really think as this season goes on, they're going to regress a little bit and they're not like we're we're not going to see them score seven goals a game. Right. We know that we already saw their last game against Minnesota. They have one. Right, So tonight, again, I'm hoping for more goals, but 100-point seasons, uh, usually you only see that on on higher-scoring teams. Uh, So I think it's going to be tough. Uh, Suzuki, I could see him doing it at some point, though. I I really believe very firmly he's going to hit 90 at least once during his uh, contract, and who knows? uh, With Cole Caulfield on his wingman and with the way that he's shooting the puck right now, entirely possible that he could kiss that 100-point plateau.
2: Um, we have mentioned Suzuki. Obviously, um, um, he's get the honourable mention. Interestingly, though, since Martin St-Louis took over, Cole Caulfield has been the front runner in in this Player of the Month article. With Suzuki having the honourable mention all the time, um, do you think it will? Ch- does any of you think it will change for the next month?
3: I don't think so. Um, Caulfield's not again. Can we talk about Cole Caulfield's forechecking game real quick? Yeah. Like, what's Ooh, what, yeah. Ha- what happened there? Like out of nowhere, Cole Caulfield just became a forechecking wizard who just uses his body positioning perfectly. I remember this one play last season where he went into a corner against Charlie McAvoy with the, in a game against the Bruins, and as he goes into the corner, he sort of bumps off McAvoy and like spins off and like gets the puck off the boards, makes a play and almost scored. And I was like. Man, if he can recreate that even like a couple times a season, that'll be like a, a another level to his game. And now he's he's making these kinds of plays every single every second shift, it seems like. And I don't know if it's Adam Nicholas, I don't know if it's some specific work that he was tasked with during the offseason, but man, Ca- Caulfield's just become a completely different player since saint took over, but some some time during this off season, someone told him something. Someone trained him on something that just made him really, really good on the forecheck, even really good on the back check, and just extremely positionally smart with his body. And it's like, who is this player? This is not the player that was struggling physically that we saw at the beginning of the season. No,
0: so I, I, I think.
3: I yeah, think I was just things. gonna say.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say quickly that we we know that he's highly intelligent, and we know mm-hmm. that he wants to be the best player he he can be. And obviously, there are no, uh, you know, there are no. Easy ways to get there. You just have to, you know, be willing to become better at everything. And that's
1: probably what you're seeing now. Yeah, I think two things, right? So, number one, I think it's Mountain Saint Louis. I think, you know, when he took over, the first thing that he said was, you know, he wanted his players to be able to make reads. He didn't necessarily want people to be boxed into a specific system. He wanted them to be able to make reads. So, I think he's got that freedom to make those reads now, to go after some four checks that maybe he wasn't necessarily, you know, comfortable going after before. And then the other thing, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much weight he gained, but it looks to me like he gained a lot of strength. You saw him at the golf tournament; he looked pretty yoked for a guy who's like four feet tall. So, I think he has some confidence, not only from the way that Nathaniel the Weed has everything set up for him to play, but also that I think he gained strength. And sometimes when you gain strength, you don't necessarily gain a ton of weight. So he's never going to come in and be a 210 pound player because you know it'd be pretty ridiculous at his size to have that kind of weight on him, but if he gained a little bit of strength and now, you know, he's benching a little bit more, he's squatting a little bit more. He might have that additional confidence to go, you know what? I, I can go into the corner against some of these guys and I can take the puck off of them. He's always been pretty crafty with his hands. And I think maybe a little bit of extra strength is just giving him that, that extra mental toughness to just say, you know what, screw it. I'm going in the corner against these guys and I don't care. He took a couple of hits in that last game too. And he even quote tweeted somebody who had a, a highlight of him getting hit. And he said, ouch, it's like, he's, he's willing to take those hits he and you know that could be a double-edged sword because you know the last thing you want is for him to end up getting hurt taking those hits but he seems pretty capable of doing it right now and i i, I wonder if maybe his off-season training regimen didn't make a big difference in terms of how strong he actually is
2: probably lowering center of gravity as well getting a little bit more stable on the on the on the ice and and uh, he's... being able to stand up to those um you know, well, he's he always going to have a low
1: center of gravity. Yeah, he's, but he's but very short.
2: He, yeah, but I think he, he lowered it even further to be more stable, because he can't really build upwards, because then he will um, fall over much easier. But as we saw with Kotkanemi, building up his shoulders a lot, and and then obviously fell over a lot after that. Um, but going back to to Cowfield, you see improvement all over his game. Uh, defensive zone, he I feared at. At an early stage, that he was going to become a little bit like Dutch Gretzky, cheating a bit, getting the breakaways and scoring that way. But but he's oh, don't really... be
1: distant Dutch Gretzky in here, man. This is a yeah, Dutch
2: like... Gretzky fan zone. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, not saying that, but you know as well that he cheated in his defense. Yeah, and, maybe uh, <laughs> sometimes. But but I, I see his overall game, and and I remember Matt Dumont. Being on the pod and saying, you know, he studies everything he can, Cole Caulfield, and he will learn from it. And and I think that is, you know, sure, Martin, Martin St-Louis obviously helps and and giving him that confidence, giving him the leeway. I, but I also think even if you do that and you, you don't have a player that adjusts to it and take that responsibility himself, you're not going to see the same improvement. Going back though to to Nick Suzuki, um, will he be able to challenge for for the Player of the Month award, or or will he be the the <laughs> continuous runner up for the last for the for the next season?
1: He can challenge for it. He I I think depending on especially if he can get the power play going a little bit more. You saw that beautiful pass that he made over to Caulfield uh, in the last game. The, the power play getting going was the difference between that being a close game and potentially going to overtime and being a blowout win, right? if the power play is on the right track, he's going to be a big part of it being on the right track and it's starting to contribute. And, you know, teams, teams are going to start keying on Caulfield a little bit more. Uh, You saw in recent games, they just basically weren't even trying to defend Caulfield because the hazards are so inept at the power play that they're like, whatever, we can just kind of sit in our box and just wait for them to make a mistake. And we're going to send it down the ice. And then they're never going to set up in the zone again because they can't gain the goddamn zone. Um, Now, if, Caulfield starts getting going, they're going to key on him a little bit more. And then it's going to be on Suzuki to take those shots. You saw that one play, Who's it against Buffalo, when they had a player with no stick and Caulfield was just very smartly just taking the puck constantly right at that guy. But he tried to pass it off instead of shooting. I think there's going to come some situations where he starts shooting and maybe in the next month he gets a couple of extra goals and then all of a sudden he gets a little bit more shine for a player of the month next go-around.
2: Yeah, I think, and obviously we have seen him blossom in – maybe not blossoming but at least to sprout as a leader as well and and uh, as soon as that blossom really blossoms out i would think that that we we get much more from nick Suzuki uh in terms of coverage and, and seeing what he can achieve as well um looking though and i'm, I'm sorry because i don't watch ahl so i'm just going to toss the name out here um and, and that is Anthony Richard playing as a Richard for the Rocket Raval. That's going to be tough, but he seems to have made a great impact from the start.
0: Yeah, apparently he has. He has six points in the first eight games in his Laval career. He came over from uh, the Syracuse Crunch, played for both Milwaukee and Syracuse last season in the AHL. And, you know, he, he, did, he did have a good playoff run with Syracuse and 26 points in 40 regular season games. Um, so, you know, the, the, hopes were obviously when he was signed during that, I think it was the, during the first or second day of free agency, uh, it was him and it was Bowie and, uh, and someone else who was signed there. And you kind of thought like, well, this is depth signing, right? It's maybe they can challenge for fourth line minutes if Montreal were to trade someone away. Uh, but now he's gone in and, and done everything that you kind of was hoping to get earlier from, from guys like uh, J.S. Dia, um, like last season, for example. Um, and Anthony Richard, you know, he's 25 years old. There's still some room to grow for him. Um, it's just nice to see these, uh, you know, middle-aged uh, players, if you can call them that, on, on a young Rocket team who can, you know, log heavy minutes and and take a leadership role. Um and Richard has has started out great. And um let's just see if he can continue to build on that. I mean, he has a point like he has a pace now for 54 points in 72 games if he continues like
1: that, and, and that would be awesome. He's got like a he's got some Paul Byron in him, like he's super fast, and uh he was a big problem for the Rocket last year in the playoffs. I remember watching that series last year, he gave them fits. So, it made sense to kind of go out and get him. Um, you got to love seeing a Richard uh, in the organization as well and uh, and wearing number 90. Obviously, you can't wear number nine, but a mm-hmm. um, uh, big fan of what he's done so far. I, I love players that have that kind of speed to him. I think he's got some Paul Byron to his game. He could be a guy that potentially even gets called up to the halves at some point if there's some injuries uh, during the course of the season. Um, really like what he's brought so far.
3: Is it me or is there a trend with? Uh, the abs development team and going and finding these sort of undervalued, uh, undersized puck hounds, bugs who just fly all over the ice and make everything happen. I mean, Anthony Richard, uh, uh, Raphael Arbett-Finard, Xavier Simonon, like these, these, yeah. these undersized Quebecers who'll just who'll dig a puck out from the corner with their teeth. I mean, that's pretty much what we're going for right now. Um, And I like that trend. I very much like those players. I like what they bring to the game. And to me, if if you're going to give a chance to some local talent, you got to make sure that they are more determined than anyone else to make it happen in their uh, home province. So that's what I really like about that, that trio of players, especially Alvi Pinar, Richard and Simono. They're kind of built in the same mold of kind of like tree stumps who go everywhere fast and and... Try to bulldoze their way everywhere. It's really great to watch.
0: It would be fun to see a fourth line down the line with those three.
1: <laughs> to see oh my like, goodness, I
3: mean, the yeah. havoc they would wreck on on defenders <laughs> yeah. on the four check. Jesus. That, that wow. would actually
1: be like a really interesting fourth line. Oh yeah. yeah. There's speed, there's a lot of tenacity. There's, and as Hattie mentioned, like you're you're not gonna have a good time if they get the puck just deep in your offensive zone. Like, that's the kind of line where, you know, I'd say absolutely dump and chase that thing. Just get it into the corner and then go put a hurt on them because they're not going to enjoy playing against those three in the corners. Great example by Hattie to compare him to uh, Xavier Simano because there's a lot of that there, too. I mean, I gravitate towards Paul Byron because of the speed, but absolutely puck hound, man. Get the puck in the corner and then you can just... (laughs) We talk about a checking
3: line. You, you talk about yeah. a checking line, right? That's that's pretty much mm-hmm. a textbook checking line. All you're missing is is you'll know, Matt Martin throwing hits whenever he can. Like that's that that's your textbook right there. That's <laughs> crazy. And
0: ev- everyone complaining about like uh, you know the lack of French speakers. I mean that would be <laughs> perfect to just have a fourth line with three uh, natives from uh, from the Quebec region and and you know that relentless pressure that they would just cause.
2: Yep. We mentioned Xavier Zoumano, who is an honourable mention as the AHL player of the month as well. But, but I was thinking before you brought up the unit as a as, as, a, as a whole, uh, having these plugs to, to to really just plug into a fourth line in the NHL team, going after players like that, it's pretty smart because you know what you're going to get. They're not going to, you know. Uh, Embarrass themselves in the at the NHL level for for the work ethic they do and and the drive they have and and digging corners out uh, digging pucks out of the corners and stuff like that that will always be appreciated on the fourth line and it's if someone gets injured and let's hope it doesn't happen you you put one of those up and you know what you're going to get uh, is that part of that thinking from Hugo as well?
3: Well, I think it's part of it, but for me, the the way I see Xavier Simonon is I see him as a future fan favorite in Montreal and not in the Michael Pizzetta way. I'm talking in the David D'Arnais way, uh, where he's going to make his way up to a line that he's not supposed to be on to start with because of, I don't know, injuries or something. And next thing you know, he's on that line permanently and and driving it and making good plays. Um, that's what I sort of predict for Simonon. Again, he's my bat signal whenever he he's... He's talked about on Twitter. I get tagged left and right, so I might be a bit biased here because I absolutely love this prospect, but that's the future I see for him in Montreal is being a fan favorite, uh, but not not in the fourth-line plug sense, in the actual impact, surprisingly good impact player uh, yeah. sense of the term.
1: He he might have beat uh, Joshua Gawai last year for uh, QMJHL scoring if he stayed healthy. Like he oh, might totally. have been the guy who, who led the league. He was he was that good, and of and course in terms he was of an data. overager.
3: And in terms of data, the only player that was better than him in terms of playmaking was Maverick Book, who's a very yeah. very solid prospect for the Dallas Stars. So,
1: yeah, so legit, and he's got an underrated wrister. you, you mentioned, uh, you know, he could maybe work himself onto a line he has no business being on. I agree a hundred percent. He's the kind of guy that if he gets into the Habs lineup, you might even see him. And I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but you might even see him as the other winger with caught and Suzuki at some point, because it'll be like, this guy digs pucks out of the corner. Like you said, with his teeth, he doesn't care. And they kind of need somebody who can be more in that puck retrieval role. Of course, we talked about coffees forechecking checking and everything getting considerably better this season, but it, it could happen where if he gets called up, he might find himself in the top six somehow and then he could become that fan favorite because he's more capable of playing those minutes than you would think out of a guy who was drafted very late and a guy who has been, was in the QMJHL for multiple years and as recently as last year.
2: We we, uh, we we know that Lecon was first line winger at, at one point in Montreal as well. Now he's um, obviously a Stanley Cup winner in in Colorado Avalanche, um, but on the second line though, um, interesting to hear Simonau, especially for Europeans that might not be watching him as much. One person that we have been seeing all over Twitter uh, is Owen Beck, and uh, Hardy. I'm going to leave it to you to describe this uh, uh, this fantastic player. I'm and I mean, we all love what we saw from from him in camp, and yep. but taking it into uh, the juniors again and, and playing
1: um, with, with the poise that he is really.
3: We didn't. Yeah, didn't so we
2: he,
1: all pick him in our mock draft before the draft, except for Pat?
3: Yeah, didn't but I was right happened?
1: because I put my SR. Yeah, <laughs>
3: no, I I picked Lane, I believe. I picked Lane Hudson uh, in that range. Just want to clarify that, um, or something like that. I'm not. Well, I, I mean, any,
0: anyone who knew anything knew that you could get L- Lane Hudson at 62, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, from what I've heard, teams were gambling real hard yeah. with Lane Hudson. Yeah. Um, they were looking at each other, being like, "Who's gonna pull the trigger?" And the halves were like, "Screw you, I'm going for it." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but yeah, we won, We won that. <laughs> Uh, by the way, over a point a game in this freshman season as a five nine defender uh, on a stacked blue line in uh Boston. Just just wanted to throw that out there, by Lane Hudson. But let's let's focus on Owen Beck. Um he had a he had a kind of rusty start. Obviously, you see that a lot of prospects who go back down to the OHL. There's a bit of a transition period where they're like, oh, right, I'm back in junior. Um but once he got his his footing, I mean, man, a nine point weekend. Are you kidding me? Like he and all like he scored three goals and six assists, and all six assists were primary, so he wasn't like dishing out to someone and letting them do the work. he was the one really making the primary assist so I mean that weekend really sort of unlocked it for him. he was already sort of getting started before that, but what I absolutely love about Owen Beck is that every single one of his plays uh are are conductive to results at the NHL level. It's not like he's making plays that don't translate. And we saw how good he was at in preseason. He's not doing anything different in junior. He's making the exact same plays. It's just those plays work at any level. So even though he didn't, he only had you know 51 points in 68 games in his draft year, he was hidden behind Luca Delba Blues, playing a shutdown role. But every single one of those 51 points he could have scored in the NHL. Um translatable plays, cutting to the middle. Um, carrying, you know, using shouldering speed to offer support on the rush in order to to hit the neutral zone with the speed differential, slowing down at the offensive blue line, um, you know, slipping an area pass, literally sort of mind – Jetta mind-tricking his teammates into going in the areas that he wants yeah. them to go by throwing passes in the right areas. I mean – his brain dictates his game in such a in such a high-end way that I don't think you're ever gonna have to worry about Owen Beck not Owen Beck not translating. He's already shown the translatability. It's just about diversifying his offensive skill set. And we're already seeing that when C when goes back to junior, he starts playing on the right half on the left half wall on the power play and he starts using his one timer and, and he ends up scoring a couple of goals like that. So that's just one other arrow in his quiver that's gonna help him. Um, bring a, a package to the NHL that's even more diversified, that's even more um, conductive to positive results. You might end up, instead of having a, a perennial third-line center, a Jeff Halpern type of player, you might end up with a perennial second-line center because he's getting that power play ice time and trying things out.
2: I, yeah. I, I get the feeling of Owen Beck a little bit like Kaden uh, Gooley. He was sent back just because he's going to be on the team next year you know go back mm-hmm. do your thing come back and play with the team next year
3: and that yeah, benefited guly so Alfield much
2: as well yeah, yeah.
3: like Alfield it was as well. yeah yeah i mean that benefited guly so much to go back in that extra year and when he got traded to the edmonton oil kings um he just started exploring a completely different side of his game that now he just he he's incorporated flawlessly into his nhl game which is activations um i was hearing mitch brown talk about this on on a podcast i don't remember which one but Um, back checking, you do that a thousand times a game. Like anyone who plays hockey knows that you, you, you do that a thousand times a game and it's pretty straightforward. There's not much thinking involved. You just skate backwards, try to try to get to the man that's in front of you, uh, check your shoulder from time to time. But activation, there's a lot more variables. So what happens is you have to use your brain a lot more. And that's one thing that Gully struggled with is when he was presented with a lot of options, he would kind of freeze up and either throw it up the boards or uh, dump the puck out, that kind of thing. And activating offensively made him a better breakout player because he was faced with multiple options and was forced to evaluate, analyze, and and take the right decision. And that translated to other areas of his his game so that extra year where he got traded to Edmonton and then played on a dominant team where he was allowed to just go out in the offensive zone explore down low go below the circles that helped his game a ton and that's what we're seeing right now as a player that instead of being um you know a a number a very solid number four number five defenseman he's logging top line minutes for the Montreal Canadiens in his rookie season like that's the difference
1: And that could be Beck next year, man. I I don't see a universe where he doesn't crack the Habs roster next year. He basically had his, he did have his rookie season washed out by the pandemic, right? So his draft year was basically his rookie year in the OHL. So had he already mentioned it, point production wasn't necessarily there. If he was producing at the rate that he is right now in his draft year, which he could have been, if he actually had a rookie year, he would have been top 10 pick in that draft. No problem. You might have had a conversation even about top five. I don't know. But if he had this production that he's getting this year, for sure, he's going, wait, there's no no way that he's in the second round at the very least. The one thing when they drafted him that everybody was saying is like, listen, if this kid develops a little bit more scoring potential, look out, right? Because he's already elite defensively. He is a great shutdown player. And now we're seeing the offense on top of the fact that he remains an absolute perfect shutdown player. We can call him Arturi Beckinen all we want. (laughs) <laughs> it's legit he is the next we 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 constantly talk ever since leckin got traded it's like who's the next artillery election this is it and he plays center i mean i i watched a game the other night of his uh can't forget which one, can't remember which one it was i'd have to go back and take a look but i have a highlight up on my on my twitter as well he absolutely lit a defenseman up Like he skates into the corner and launches him into the boards. And he wasn't like flying. It wasn't like a charge or anything like that. He looks physically stronger. Um, He looks a lot more confident offensively, and he's still shutting everybody down. I would love to see Mitch Brown's tracking by the end of this year. I guarantee you he's going to be 99s across the board, if not 100s, because they're not scoring against him, and he's also doing a lot of damage offensively. Yeah. Again, I go back to what I said before. I see this kid on the Habs next year, and not only on the Habs, but similar to what Hattie mentioned with Caden Gooley, we could potentially see him playing up in the top six, uh, middle six at the very least. There's
0: going to be a logjam of forwards coming through. Like it's, <laughs> like we see it already with the defensemen. Like we have four rookie defensemen playing NHL minutes for a team that's actually over 500. That's pretty impressive. Yeah um and we have like a lot of them in the uh, in the ahl as well so like you know kudos to the the change that the former management made in like 2017 2018 there when they actually started you know developing prospect prospects in a more healthy way like like you say sending back kating ghoulies sending back like obviously they learned from Yemi that you know even if a prospect looks really good in preseason. There is something, you know, if you want someone to develop that, you know, top six, top four potential, it's better for them to grow in their own pace and nurture them. Um, and now we see like, you know, we see Vincent Roreau, for example, uh, in his second OHL season. <coughs> Shit, sorry about that. Uh, in his <coughs> second OHL season, uh, a point per game player. And that's also, you know, one of these kids that, you know, relentless kind of player. Yep. Um that's going to be fun to see as well. And he was a third round pick, and we're going to come to to another um, 2022
2: draft pick for the uh, European Player of the Month, right, Pat? Yeah, but I also think that you, you, we credit. If you want to credit the the former management, you also have to credit them for stocking up on draft picks, uh, mm-hmm. because having 13, 14 draft picks in in every draft, you're going to start hitting on people so, yes. so it makes sense and and we're seeing a lot of them, and there's obviously a lot of talk about it and And scouting seems to have been taking kind of a different way anyway. And uh, I'm always, you know, I'm pushing my Europeans, but uh, there there would have been a case four games, eight points from uh, Philip Masar in juniors. Uh, mm-hmm. we we sort of expected him to be dominant because he's played pro, but, uh, you actually have other two other players you mentioned in, in the chat before, Hadi as asked, uh, honorable mentions for, for the, uh, North American prospect.
3: Yeah. So Joshua Roy is back to doing Joshua things in the, in the QMJHL, uh, 19 points in 13 games, I believe so far, um, doing a lot of the same things now, there's still the issue of processing. I'm not sure how high-end was processing is. Um, having watched him more in depth, especially at the World Juniors, um, I saw a prospect who was struggling to keep up with the higher pace, and I saw that in his game of the AHL. Now, obviously, he's got a lot of runway. He's still very, very young. Um, but I thought I'd exclude him from this uh, set of honorable mentions just because there isn't much progression, and he's pretty much doing the same things he was doing last year. So um it wasn't really worth a mention in that sense. Lane Hudson, though. Lane Hudson is blowing me away so far. Um Every time he steps on the ice, he's electric. He's making plays. He's connecting with teammates. The things he was doing at the USHL level, at the, at the NTDP level with the UA teams, that people were like, oh, you know, he's probably, this is probably, you know, only working in the USHL. He's probably not going to be able to translate that to the NCAA. Does this sound familiar at all? <laughs> like, yep. You, you know what I yep. mean? <laughs> Undersized player who's who's who keeps being told that what he's doing won't work at the next level, and then it does absolutely work at the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, he's on a scoring pace that's similar to Adam Fox. Uh, better, I think, than Adam Fox, better than Quinn Hughes, um, better than Zach Wawanski in their draft here. So, yes, he's playing on a stacked blue line, but that's actually taking time away from him on the power play because he has to share ice time with Dominic Fensore uh, on the power play for Boston University. Um, and he's he's made the impossible task of of making Luke Tuck look good uh, seem easy. So, <laughs> I'm very very happy oh, about sure. what I'm saying. so far. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not a fan, but you know, I was going to say he's the
0: op- polar opposite of Lane Hudson. Oh my everything. god! Yeah.
3: Oh my god. You talk about a player. I, I don't think Luke Tuck knows that the ice is any wider than like three feet wide. He just stays in the same lane and just goes back and forth on the ice. And
1: we were well, we've been calling him uh, NCAA Josh Anderson, right? He oh kind of just boy. seems to want to skate in a straight line. There's no there's no lateral movement, it's just I'm going dead straight towards the net and yeah. I'm gonna crash and bang into whatever I see in my way. Yeah? <laughs> Absolutely. Josh Anderson made, what is it, five and a half million for, for seven years doing that? Mm-hmm. So you can get a good NHL career out of it.
3: Yeah, you can Ram- convince an NHL team that that's valuable. That doesn't mean it is. <laughs> I'm
1: glad well, that you man. brought him up and I'm glad that you joined today, Hattie, because I wanted to ask you what you think. Because I got the chance to watch, I, I think, two and a half games of, of Lane Hudson. And I was like, God damn, there's no way this kid plays more than one season in the NCAA. How okay. long do you think he's staying in there? You think he's staying for more than one year?
3: I I think he's staying the full ride, and the reason for that is the Habs will continue to be absolutely petrified of rushing prospects until they realize that – you need to play at the level you're ready for, not the level that you're absolutely dominating every year, which is why I would have loved to see them find another option for Joshua going back to the queue, maybe playing in the SHL, Mm. um, playing at a different level because he's already too good for that level. And he's not learning anything because he's sticking to his guns. Like I said, he's doing the exact same things. I don't want Lane Hudson spending four years in the NCAA, but I think the Kotkin Yemi effect has them absolutely petrified of rushing prospects, especially ones that they deem, uh, too small or too tall or too frail or too lanky or et cetera um if they don't look physically ready like yura silvkovsky does they're probably gonna try to develop them as much as possible but for me as long as he's working with adam nicholas that is a match made in heaven um i think adam nicholas could bring out things from lane hudson that no other uh skills or development coach could he understands the game that lane hudson wants to play and lane hudson understand the game that adam nicholas is trying to get out of him and yeah again match made in heaven those two as long as they're working together i'm hopeful about lane hudson but i think he's going the full ride
2: it was a tough decision though for me to to pick the european player of the month i went with petri nurmi partly because i'm positively surprised in what he's bringing to to a really unknown hpk team or hopeco uh it's it's since he came in to the team, uh, he has played solidly uh, on on both offensive end and defensive end. He's a virtual unknown. And I know that we had a guest on that said he might be challenging for, for a roster spot with uh, the Leonat, the Finnish national team, in one of the smaller tournaments. I definitely see what they where that's coming from now. Um if you have a chance, watch a whole pickle game. Uh, um, I don't know if you have Hadi, but but um have you?
3: Petteri, uh, Petteri I absolutely have. Um, I I made sure to tune in to a couple games later on in uh, after the draft because I'd seen him play in a uh, in a World Juniors tournament. I don't remember who. I think his teammate, his uh, his D partner was uh, Topinjameda, um, and those two together were electric. I was like, maybe I maybe they're onto something by drafting this guy because I saw a pretty sort of basic shutdown defender, but um after rewatching some tape watching the the in-depth details of his game i saw a player who received pucks in motion who uh can make a sneaky pass across a couple lines and and connect very intelligent pretty well.
2: player yeah th- th- no, exactly. that is what has stood out to me
3: mm-hmm. exactly so the intelligence is really a standout in normie's game and i haven't watched him this season so far just because to be perfectly honest i have so many prospects i need to be watching <laughs> right now it's it's absolutely insane um but i'm i'm sure he's gone better since um the viewings i saw were sort of end of april beginning of may mm. um i i do like to keep updated on as many haps prospects as possible but with the I, I i don't know we're up to like 25 now or something <laughs> that i have in, on the north american side um i'm sticking my guns plus the 2023 draft is uh deep to all hell so i'm i'm covering maybe like 30 different teams um I've got I've got two screens on my PC. I'm running three games, like one game on the big screen that I'm mainly focused on, two on a split screen on my second screen, uh, and watching three games at the same time. And uh, and I, I I'm still missing games that I could be watching. I mean, at one point there was Owen Beck, Lane Hudson, Joshua Roy, um, Jared Davidson. And some other prospect, uh, Jaden Struble, playing in the same on the same night at the same hour. Like, what am I supposed to do? So I, I respect you, for that, Luke. Because the most Luke, I can Luke.
1: do is two at once. That's the most <laughs> I can do is two. I have an extra screen and everything, but I got one on one screen, one on the other. That is my maximum. If mm-hmm. I go to three, I'm going to get overloaded, and I'm just going to punch <laughs> one of my screens. But that's because you're not a you know proper Gen Z. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, You're a little I, bit older I, than Hardy. Yeah, so, what so are you trying, trying to me call me a boomer, Anton? <laughs> Sorry,
3: <laughs> trying to call me a boomer there?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, but probably. The, no, but
3: see, like Gen Zers by default have a masters and in, in sensory overload. Like we can handle a lot more. Uh, <laughs> just, just pure information, like distilled information, right into our eyeballs. Like it, yeah. it's. it's uh, I have it I have
2: two screens uh, that I watch uh, when I watch obviously European prospects, uh, but what I do is I. I Take the sound off the one I'm focused on, and then I'm listening to the other. So if something happens with the prospect on that one, I I watched. I watched the the replay.
3: That's exactly what I do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, we we have to give a shout out though because we have been low on Oliver Kapanen. He's really taking off this season. Got third line centering minutes with Kalpa. Um, seven, Seven points in October, eight points in total. Challenging for for the best junior or or scoring title by among juniors in Finland in Liga overall. He's tied, uh having scored one less goal, so he, he's not leading it. Um but it's 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 good to see a young player like Oliver Kapanen uh blossom a little bit here and and taking those steps that we maybe expect him to do last year. anyone wants to bring
3: anything into that of course yeah (laughs) what I liked a lot about Kapan in in his draft here was his responsibility in all three zones I think that really stood out in his game was pretty pretty much a constant the issue with him was the high-end processing I was I didn't see much in terms of hockey IQ that um, made me think that this is a player who could string together plays at an NHL level but um, I don't know what's happened since who he's been working with but the one thing that's the most difficult to improve, hockey sense, has actually improved in this case. And I think the hockey um, sense
2: was all, always there, but it was a um, he just lacked confidence last year. Mm. He, I, I remember seeing him in the in the uh, Finnish uh, junior team in Engelholm, and he was squeezing the stick so hard, uh, mm. you could almost feel it in the stands. Uh, he just wanted to score. He has a good shot. Uh, but he didn't get it to work. And and somehow that
3: crept into his mind and into his game and it caused him to plunder. Yeah, lots of hesitation. Um that that I felt in this game in general. Um, I still have um I still have concerns with Uh, you know i don't see for me a big sign of hockey sense is area passes Mm -hmm. um if your player like i mentioned with beck if your player is jedi mind tricking his teammates into like going to the right spots by throwing pucks in the right areas uh extremely good sign of of high-end hockey sense of, of advanced planning of um anticipation predictability like these are always great signs for me of a player who, who's got that advanced um, processing of the game. I didn't really see that from Kapanen. Maybe he was just not um, he was not executing on those ideas that he had. It was like, no, nah, that's not going to work, that kind of thing. And maybe that plays into the confidence thing. But um, whatever's changed, is changed for the positive. I really like what I've been seeing from him lately. And um, hopefully the progression keeps going.
2: Indeed, we hope so. And we're going to be back next month with another absent-minded, the player of the month, that time for November. Obviously, with Cole Calphil winning it and Nick Suzuki finishing as runner-up. You've been listening to Hadi Kalakesh. Hadi, you want
3: to promote some of your work? Absolutely. I've got a new project going on. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but um, the brand-new Locked On NHL Prospects podcast is on YouTube, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, you can also find my work on Twitter, Hattie K underscore scouting. Um, I post my videos there, my podcast, all that good stuff. So, make sure, and to follow. of course, that eyes on the prize. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Why do I always forget? I'm on the Habs Eyes on the Prize podcast. What is what is going on? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: we got the uh, always entertaining and firing uh, chanting uh, going off on the refs, Matt Drake with his bottom six minutes. Um, Matt your uh your uh twitter handle so you get some more followers please
1: it's at drake mt you can also catch me uh, I'm i'm starring in a, a new movie that i i, I directed myself um <laughs> started and uh i'm also the executive producer and it's called uh ethan what's first overall 2023 i um, knew it i so, knew you were going to say yeah, that exactly and uh so you know contrarian for being contrarian's sake i'm going with ethan gossier adam fantilli is terrible
2: yeah And obviously we have The Fugitive. We already uh, teased it a little bit. But next summer's um, special podcasting is going to be the story from Anton Rassegård traveling the world in front of Interpool. Anton, stay safe out there. We want to keep having you on as a guest for the podcast. It's been a blast having you all three on. And I hope everyone has enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, thank you everyone for listening make sure to follow us make sure to ask questions what we can bring up in other podcasts